0: rejoining a new series that I brought the first message two Sundays ago and then last week we just blew everything up because of noche and familia and loving our neighbors but we're going back so this is part 2 of a series in Hebrews chapter 11 that we've entitled seeing the invisible seeing the invisible, which is actually this crazy language that comes right out of Hebrews chapter 11 because the author of Hebrews 11 talks over and over again about moving beyond what we can see and actually how our faith is connected to the invisible, It's pretty amazing. And today we're diving back in and we're going to be looking at two characters in the next part of the chapter, Hebrews 11. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. uh, We're looking at Noah and Abraham, mainly Noah today. And then next week we'll pick back up with even more about Abraham. In this chapter, What the author does is he drops in these little, tiny, short stories about heroes of our faith, including Noah and Abraham. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. Uh, He didn't need to because the audience that he was writing to knew these stories inside and out. They had been raised with these stories. So when he says something about Noah, it's like, oh, you know, they just knew the whole story. They could quote it. They could laugh about stuff. They could, you know, count the animals going into the ark. All that kind of, because they knew the story. He just had to throw in these little, tiny, like, vignettes. It's like, here are these heroes of faith make these little cameo appearances in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. So, would you, would you read with me these? And here's what I want to point out to you in advance, both of these stories about Noah and about Abraham, they point out the significance in God's promises as they relate to our faith. Because both of these stories illustrate how God's promises help people to begin to see the invisible and begin to move into having lives of faith. It's about God's promises. Okay, like slug somebody in the shoulder next to you and say, it's about God's promises. It's about his promises. Come on. In the back. Promises. Pro- there you go. Promises. So join me in reading uh, verses 7 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. It's going to be up on the screen. And the author writes this. He says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, right, just pause right there, when he warned him about things not yet seen, in other words, they were invisible, they were not yet seen, things that Noah couldn't see yet, God warns him, so by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family, and as we keep reading, it says, by faith, Abraham When called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Why didn't he know where he was going? Because it was invisible to him at that point. He couldn't see it. He had to trust what God was speaking and showing by his promises about where he was headed. And guess where he was going? To the promised land, it says. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, like I said, the author of Hebrews didn't need to go into lots of details. He just gives these little vignettes, these little short stories, kind of drops in these characters because the people that he was writing to, they had this deep knowledge of this because they were Jews, you know, um, in Israel and surrounding Israel, that they were weaned on these stories. It's like these are the stories that they're, you know, abuelitas you know, would say, let me tell you the story of Noah, you know. they They were the ones that moms and dads would tell, tell me again at bedtime the story of Noah and Abraham and because they were their ancestors. This was these family stories that had been passed down and written into their scripture. So they had these things memorized inside and out, And so it's amazing because the author of Hebrews, when he's talking about Noah, who we're gonna look at first here, when he mentions Noah, he only gives like two verses. Just these little, hey, remember Noah? And what he did, because what's amazing is that story, if you go back to Genesis chapter six, spans like 100 years. And he gets two sentences, but everybody immediately knew, oh yes, Noah, great man of faith. So let's look at, again, just at this singular verse here, the first one we looked at, verse seven, about Noah, and then we're gonna talk about it for a while. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. See, because all the audience immediately knew that like, oh yeah, great man of faith, they were like, They didn't need the whole story over again, like we do. They knew immediately that, oh, I know why he was a great man of faith. Because God gave him his promise. They knew what the promise was. How God would rescue and save his family and create a new covenant with this man. And they knew that not only did God make a promise to him, but they knew that he believed in that promise And he acted on it in faith. And so they're like, oh yeah, Noah, great example. We know why you're writing about Noah. But when we take a little bit longer look and go back to Genesis chapter six, which you can read the whole story um, later. In fact, if you haven't read it, um, I'd encourage you to read it. If you haven't read this to your kids, go back and read and talk about it in detail. But what we find out is that God looked at all of humanity, it says, and they were completely rotten to the car. It says, I mean, they were completely uh, living in the wrong way and that everything that they did was just filled with violence and evil and there was like, there was no redemption left in all of the people of the earth except Noah. Noah. Who somehow, I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like being Noah? Living in a land where, I mean, we think our you know, world is kind of corrupt and we look around and we see a lot of brokenness. But this was complete brokenness and depravity. Complete evil. Sin everywhere you look. In homes and on the streets and in the shops and in the whatever governmental systems they were operating in. Every single bit of it was rotten, sinful, Broken, and people were just dying just just because of how broken and depraved it was. And yet, faith finds a way. And here's this one man, this one man, Noah, who, like, in spite of everything, says, God, I've heard of you, and I know of your nature, and I believe in you in spite of everything that I see around me. Somehow, Noah was able to see that which was invisible to everybody else. Because everything that was visible was bad. And so here's what God says. He says, I've got to wipe out the world. I've got to wipe out and we're going to do a redo. We're going to start over again with humanity based on this one man. Because of just the, how vile and corrupt everything was. I'm going to wipe out the world and I'm going to do it with a flood. So Noah, get ready because you're going to be building a big boat, the ark, right? And you're not only going to save your family in the ark, but I'm going to send animals to you that there would be a start over with the whole animal kingdom. And so that's exactly what happens. But God also speaks not only this promise to him that he is going to be rescued and saved. He also says this, and you'll find this in in Genesis chapter 6, that I am making a covenant with you. A covenant is this deep and abiding promise, one that cannot be broken. And when God makes a covenant, it's like he, he is staking everything of who he is, saying this is the way it will be. Yeah. This is my covenant with you, Abraham, that you will survive this, you and your family, and will begin the new journey of humanity. Now in the first message that I brought two weeks ago when we were looking at Hebrews 11.1, I made this statement. I made this statement that says this. I said, where there is no promise, there is no hope. Without, Without promise, you never get to hope because our hope is always based, as followers of Jesus, our hope is always based on what God has promised. But today, I wanna take it a step further And I want to layer in a whole other thought here with you because I want to follow that up by saying this. Where there is no promise, there is no faith. Like, to come to faith, not just wishing that something were true, but actually coming to the kind of faith that we read about in Scripture and the kind of faith that Noah had and Abraham had and these heroes of our faith... In order to come to faith, there had to be a promise. And guess what? It's the same for you and me. Where there is no promise, there is no faith. Faith requires a promise in which we can choose to believe. I want you to think about this. One of the things that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, repeated over and over was the promise of eternal life. Over and over, he talked about that we might have eternal life in him. It's like we think of John three sixteen. You know, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. That's just one of the places where, where Jesus promised eternal life. Think about this, without that promise, we wouldn't know that like eternal life is even available to to us. You know, we look at death and we look at whether it's animals or whether it's a family or other other people and we say, you know what? It, It appears, all evidence, everything that we see with our eyes is that when the breathing stops, when the heart stops, when the mind stops being active, we call that death. And we put that dead person, that dead animal, we put them in the ground because life is done and it's over. But now Jesus breaks all that. Amen. He begins sharing about something that is invisible to our eyes by making this promise. And the promise is that this life that we can see is not all the life that there is. In fact, the life that we see right now with our eyes, like what we're doing right now, whether you're in this room or you're online and you're looking and you're seeing, you know what? This is only a small fraction of life. This is only this tiny sliver of what is actual. You just can't see the eternal. But God can see the eternal. And so God says, I invite you by this promise that if you believe in me that you will not perish that you will have eternal life with me it's the promise that like begins to shed light on things that we had not been able to see they were invisible to us and yet because of the promise we can begin to open our eyes and see the invisible once we hear God's promise. We then have the opportunity to choose to say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe what you have promised. Now listen, when we get to heaven, check this out. Once we've all arrived, crazy thought, zero faith will be required any longer. Because faith will become sight. Right? Faith will become sight. What you see, you don't have to have faith for You don't need a promise for it. I don't need a a promise that Peter is sitting right here on the front row. Right? I don't need a promise. I don't need faith for that. I can see Peter on the front row. And when we get to heaven, guess what? No faith will be required. It's crazy. Because faith will become sight. But today, because eternity is still invisible to us. We can't see it with our eyes. We need the promise to help make that connection. I want to give you a kind of a crazy illustration. You do not need faith to know whether or not you own a car, a vehicle, some sort. maybe it's a truck, I don't know, maybe it's a motorcycle. You don't need faith to know that, that you got a car, right? You either know that you do or you don't. It is knowledge that you possess. No faith, no promise required. You either own it or you don't. However, if you drove to church this morning, you do need a little bit of faith to believe that your vehicle is still in the parking lot right where you put it. Because it is possible, theoretically possible. It ain't there anymore, sorry to tell you. Sorry to tell you. But why, why do you need that little bit of faith to believe that oh, my car is, I think, where it is, but I, I do need to like, kind of believe, I hope, that it's there. Why do you need it? Because it's invisible to you right now. Right? Unless you have some like little dash cam that you can tap in on your phone and you're doing it right now. <sighs> huh, okay. Whew. I can see it. I don't need faith. But because we can't see our vehicles out there right now, we need that little bit of faith that, okay, we believe that it's there. However... If I came to you and promised you, Peter, your car is still there. Right now, you can trust me that your car is still there. You know what? In Peter, Peter's like, oh, wow, okay, that. If Pastor Tim is promising me that my car is still there, I probably can have even greater faith that it is there, because you know what? They probably have some like security cameras around, which we do, and Pastor Tim probably has some insight into this that I don't have. If he's promising me that my car is still there, I can have greater faith. Pastor Tim probably has the inside scoop on whether my car is there or he wouldn't have made the promise. And so in Peter, he could say, okay, I have greater faith that my car is still there because I received that promise from someone who I trust has the inside scoop. And so faith grows. See, faith deals with invisible matters, like eternal life. Things we cannot see. But when God makes a promise, he's, what he's doing is he's beginning to describe to us what we can't see. He's beginning to reveal. A couple of weeks ago, I talked from scripture about how God is the great revealer. He longs to show us, to tell us, to describe to us what life is like. Sometimes even what our futures will be like. And he describes even though he is invisible, he describes what he is like. It's his promise. It's his word. Promises are God's invitation to engage with the invisible. And we, as we begin to trust in his promises, we discover that what's invisible is oftentimes more real than what we can see. God's presence with me. Have you ever experienced it? You can't see it. But I'll tell you what, when you begin to experience the presence of the living God, it's more real to you than someone you can touch right next to you. If you've ever experienced the invisible love of God, you can't see it. But oh my goodness, when it takes over your soul, It just begins to transform everything. If you've experienced anything of God's redemption in your life, God's forgiveness in your life, listen, those are invisible. You cannot see forgiveness. But man, you know when you got it. Because it changes things. I am forgiven, I am set free. I have new life in Christ. It's invisible, but it's more real. In some ways, even more tangible. The changes that it's making to me than stuff that I can see, what I can touch. You know? The food I eat, the beverages I drink, the conversations I have with real people that i can see and touch right in front of me I'm telling you it is transformational when the invisible takes hold in our lives through God's promises okay. and listen while you might believe what i tell you maybe like peter about his car you might you might believe what i tell you we can always believe what God tells us. As Hebrews 10.28 says, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, he who promised is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is ultimately trustworthy. And can I tell you this? He has the ultimate inside scoop on everything. So when he says this is the way life is gonna be. When he says, this is my word, this is my promise, this is true, you can take it to the bank because he's got the inside scoop on all of eternity. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was before time and he's gonna be there when our watches and clocks stop and when eternity keeps going. He is already there. So when he speaks... Not only do we listen, but we can put our full confidence and have this deep assurance that what he says is true. His word is his bond. Everything that he says is faithful and true. Listen, I gave you a handout on your way in. Sorry, online audience, you're going to have to trust me about that. Uh, You know, it's a little bonus for being here, I guess, a little gift. And it's simply some of the promises that stand out so richly to me, sprinkled throughout, layered throughout the New Testament. But I want you to look just at the first one and the last one on this list. I hope that you take this home with you and you pin it up somewhere. And that you begin to meditate on God's promises. Because they all reveal something about the invisible. There's, in each one of these, there's an invitation to engage by faith with what God has promised you. But I want you to just really quickly look at the first one and the last one on the list. Because I want to show you something about the nature of God's promises, just using those two as examples. And we're going to put them up on the screen for you and for those online. But Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So good. One of my favorite promises. And then the end, the last one that's on that list there is written by James, James speaking on behalf of God when he says this in um, chapter four, verses seven and eight. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. It's his promise, But I want you to note something about the nature of promises that we so often see in scripture that are illustrated by by these two right here. Number one is this, that God often combines direction with his promise. It's like God gives a direction that is like embedded right in to the promise. It's as if God is saying, here's what I want you to do, okay, the direction, Followed up by, and here's why you are going to be really, really glad that you followed my direction. It's the promise, right? Here's what I want you to do, and here's why you are going to be so thankful, so blessed, that your life is gonna be enriched in ways you can't even imagine because you are being obedient, and right? Acting upon that which I have told you. And we see that right there, right? What's the direction? Come to me. Come to me. Where's the promise? I will give you rest. And in James, humble yourself before God. Direction. Resist the devil. Put up a fight, in other words. Don't just give in to whatever he's dragging you along. Fight. And guess what? Here's why you'll be glad you're dead. Because you're going to find that when you begin to fight, he runs. He turns tail and begins to say, Whoa, whoa, this person is acting with a whole lot more godly authority than I had ever given them credit for. And when the authority of God shows up in your life, as you begin to just put up a fight against whatever the enemy's trying to do in your life, here's God's promise He will flee. And when you come near to me, God says, guess what? You're going to find I am coming near to you. Direction and promise. Here's the second thing to help you in your own adventure of finding God's promise in his word. And we find them illustrated right here. In fact, on almost all of these promises here, what you're going to find is the I will or the will statements of God. God's will statements. It's like He is willing these things. Whatever God wills happens. But we find these in His promises, these will statements. I will do this, God says. This will happen, He says. And we find those over and over, just like we do in these two verses. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will. Give you rest, right? So whenever we come to find those words that God is communicating something about his will, and it most often uses that very language, what will happen, what I will do, circle it. Begin to circle God's will statements, and what you're gonna discover over and over again is that these promises are beginning to come alive and make sense in your own story, as he invites you to engage with the invisible, right? Weariness and rest are invisible. But through his promise, he begins to describe to us how we can engage with that, right? The spiritual warfare, spiritual battles that we're going through where he says to resist the devil, right? And he will, it's an invisible war that we're fighting. But as we find his will statements, he begins to describe what this actually is like and how it works. And we begin to say, God, I think I'm beginning to see the invisible. And he reveals those things more often than not through his promises, so let's go back for a minute to this little story of Noah. Because when we go back to Noah, we see that God does kind of three things. He gives him this prophetic warning. Prophetic warning. Hey, Noah, yes, God? When you look around the world, what do you see? Ah, oh, it's bad. Everything is bad. God says, Yep, that's what I see too. Right? So I'm going to destroy the known world with a flood. And Noah's like, yeah, that's not good. But God says, this is what's really good, is that you will be spared. I want you to build this big boat. Here's why. Gives him all the instructions. So he gives him this prophetic warning. But then he gives him this promise. You and your family will be saved, and I am establishing my covenant with you. So good. And then it's coupled with this direction build an ark so there's prophetic warning there's promise and there's direction and Noah acted on it that's why he's this man of faith he trusted in the promise and he acted on the direction that God gave him when God gave this assignment this word do this he did it and can I tell you that because of his not only believing in God, but his obedience to God, that's why he is a hero of faith. Because that's faith, folks. Faith is always these two things coming together. Trust and obedience. True faith in the biblical sense is not only like, well, I kind of believe that there's like a higher power, okay? James says, you know what? Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that like, yeah, there is a God. So it ain't any great shakes for us to acknowledge a higher power. No, true faith, as we read about in scripture, is always the combination of trust in who God is and what he has said, right, his promises to us. But it's always in combination with our obedience, trust and obey. For there's no other way, right? That is the story of faith, that is what faith is, is this combination of belief combined with obedient action. Now listen, faith is never going to remove all doubt I say, you're a pastor, how can you say that? Because it's true, because it's real life. Faith never removes all possibility of doubt, never answers every question, because faith, like promises, are dealing with invisible things, things that we still wonder about. We have thoughts, we have questions, they're like, wow, I don't know. But here's what faith does say. I trust you, God, enough that I will believe in your promises and act on the direction that you give even in the face of my questions, even in the face of my doubts, even when things get difficult, my trust in you exceeds those questions. It's never wrong, you guys, to have questions about God. It's never wrong to even wrestle through doubts. Never, it's never wrong to do that. Oh God, why, why am I doubting? Why? You must hate me. You know, I'm so immature. No, listen, I think the strongest believers would tell you that there have been questions that they've wrestled with maybe all their lives. Just questions, wonderments, things that, that I, I'm not sure how it all works, but here's what does work and here's what I know but I still trust God because I've seen him work and I've known of his presence and I've known of his love and I've experienced his forgiveness and, I've, I, and, I, and I watch what he does in the world and I, and I see what he did in, uh, in, through scripture and, and I love, I've fallen in love with the person of Jesus. Even though I can't see him, I know that he's real. So my faith will always say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord, and I'll obey you, Lord. I will trust and I will obey, even with things that are invisible, even with things that are difficult. Listen, Noah couldn't see the storm that was headed his way. It was still a long way off when God told him about it. It was invisible to him. But he had this confident assurance that what God said was gonna come to pass. And this promise became alive alive in him so strongly. Such a great example for us in our own day, in our own lives. And I wanna share with you just a couple of things about Abraham that we mentioned It's gonna be very brief because next week we're gonna pick back up with the story of Abraham and it's such an amazing, crazy, good story. It's in Genesis chapter six that we read about uh, Noah and it's in Genesis chapter 12 that we really get introduced to Abraham. But what we read here in Hebrews, this little vignette Just a couple of verses, verses 8 and 10 that we already read. Let's look at them real quick and I'll make a few observations and we'll be done. It says here that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 10, for he was looking forward. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward. Man, I love those words because it's talking about seeing the invisible. Like when we talk about looking forward, it it has really kind of two meanings. One, looking forward, what are you looking forward to? It means kind of like what I'm excited about, right? Oh, man, I, I got a lot of hope in me because of what I'm looking forward to. Who's looking forward to Christmas? Right? Looking forward to your birthday, woo! or not, okay? But when we think about the term looking forward, there should be and excitement. Man, I'm looking forward to this vacation. I'm looking forward to seeing some people that I love. Right? I'm looking forward to things. And I believe when it comes to this conversation about faith and the promises of God, we should all have things that we are looking forward to. Right? Things that we are fixing our eyes on. Man, I'm looking forward to that. But think about this, looking forward has this other meaning. It literally means looking forward where our eyes are fixed. What are we fixing our eyes on? In a message a handful of weeks ago, we talked about where we look is where we go like when we're driving. Remember that? Remember that illustration? Where we look is where we go. It's really important where we fix our eyes. What it says about Abraham is that he was looking forward, not to something that he could see with his physical eyes, but to a city that was built by God. I am looking to what God is building for me. Not in my current reality, not in the things that I can see. I am looking forward. God, my eyes are fixed on what you are doing, on what you have said, what your promises are. God, my eyes are fixed on you. I am looking forward. So I'm excited because I'm looking forward to it. But God, my eyes are fixed on you, even those invisible things. And the other thing that I just want to just mention, because it just highlights again, What was said about Noah is that he obeyed. He trusted in what God said. That's why he went. He left his homeland, left family, left everything that he knew and was comfortable because he he trusted in the promise of God because God said, I have a place for you. We call it the promised land. Land. That's not just a title, oh, it's the promised land. No, it's a description of the land. It's a land that was promised. So guess what, Abraham in faith, trusted in the Lord, not that every question was answered, not that he didn't like, man, I, I, don't, I don't even think this is all gonna work out, I don't know, but God, I trust you enough Believe in your word and believe in what you've promised me. That I'm going to obey you. Even though this may be difficult, even though this may be really challenging, and it was. We read the stories of Abraham. It wasn't all like ice cream and flower petals. It was tough. He had to face some battles. Lots of them. But he continued to trust God. And obey. Friends, listen to God's promise. Watch for God's promise to you and to his people, his followers, because they will, like Noah and like Abraham, help us to begin to see with our spiritual eyes what we can never see with our physical eyes. His promises illuminate the invisible, begins to describe, reveal to us what we'll never see in the natural, that he is at work, that he loves us, that he's a calling on each one of us. And that when we begin to trust and obey, like Abraham and like Noah, we get to experience the fulfillment of those things that he, he's promised. We're gonna go back into worship as a point of reflection and prayer. And Pastor Sergio is gonna lead in a time of ministry along with Lisa and ministry team up here. Because there may be things that we need to say, God, I am returning to putting my trust in you. Or there may have been things that I have slipped out of obedience and I haven't been following the direction that you've given. And we're gonna have an opportunity to reflect and respond to what God is revealing.